So we will turn to our guests. This will be a nice, quiet segment. I'll be lucky to get a word in edgewise here, but let's go for it. Jim Urio, director of TJM Institutional Services, Chicago's leading restaurateur, and Kenny Polcari, managing partner at Case Capital Advisors and chief market strategist at Slate Stone Wealth. Uh, so, gents, this is a very gloomy stock market period. Let's assess this. Uh, Jim Urio, I will begin with you. Uh, Jim, here, against the backdrop of the lousy inflation report, I mean, that infor- report yesterday, if anything, suggests inflation is getting worse, not better. So much for the peak inflation. Now, we're all going to wait. I guess, is the Fed meeting this coming week uh, mm-hmm. to see how yeah. tight they're going to be and whether they're not going to sell bonds and so forth? Uh, what's going to happen here in this stock market? So here, here's what the conclusion I came to yesterday. And you know, from since the beginning of this year, I thought 20% down in the S&P. But yesterday it changed a little bit, I think, now probably down 30%. Uh, mm-hmm. And the, the what reality is this, is that the Fed understands that they have to destroy demand enough to probably um, usher in the next recession. The only thing that can keep that from being a, a bad recession is if the government completely flips and does a 180 on energy policy. Now, the first part of that, the Fed, is likely to happen. The second part does not seem likely at all, except something monumental happening in the fall. Um, just, I don't know if you heard the, the comments from Chevron CEO Mike Worth just last week saying he doesn't believe another refinery will be built in this country ever, because in order to do that, they have to have a 10-year plan of making money, and they can't make any predictions about what the government pinball policies are going to be even in the next six months, let alone 10 years. So if the energy problem doesn't get solved, the Fed is going to have to destroy demand enough to bring us into a recession. That recession and, and I don't think it's going to be like 2006. That was something that built up over decades of um, you know people borrowing money to buy houses, and that's, a, that's something that takes a long time to work its way out. I don't think it'll be that, but I think it could be something fairly meaningful. And I think down 30% in the stocks is not unreasonable at this point. Yeah, Mike Worth, Mike Worth by the way, is a very smart guy. And um, with all these environmental regulations... Uh, he's probably right. I mean, given those policies, you'll never get a new refinery in our lifetime and never get a new pipeline in our lifetime. You may not get a new permit in our lifetime. So I, I don't blame him for that. Yeah, and then we scratch our heads as to why gas is going through the roof. And that's filtering into everything into that CPI as well, too. David Rosenberg did a nice thing that I don't completely agree with, by the way. And when you tease out all the elements in the CPI that are very, very linked to energy prices, that, I mean, it's still wildly high inflation, particularly when you add back in the housing that should be. But it's a, it's a huge deal. Energy part of this is a massive deal. Yeah. So, Kenny Pocari, um you've been bearish, too. How do you see it? So I have been bearish. I'm not necessarily surprised because you and I have discussed this before. They were talking about inflation in the past tense, saying it peaked. Like in the past, it is it is still continuing to peak. It's not it's not in the past tense at all. And we saw that yesterday. So I continue. I wasn't surprised by yesterday's number, quite honestly. Um, uh, You know, we've been saying it, and I've been saying it. I was surprised that you know they were trying to downplay it as much as they did, but. In the end, it blew through even the estimate, right? So mm. I'm with Jimmy in the sense that I do think there's certainly further to go. I'm not so sure I see the S&P down 30%. I think we're down about uh, 14% as of yesterday. I think we are. Um, no, you're I, I, you're I, down eight, I would, 18% year-to-date. On the S&P. On the S&P, 18% uh, year-to-date. 
okay, so, put in 10% so, for the producer price index, and in real terms, you're down almost 30% already. Right, right. And Just so saying. I suspect that next week when you get the PPI number, which I also expect to continue to be hot, I don't mm-hmm. think that's peaking either. And, that's, and if that's higher than the expectation, then next month's CPI is potentially going to be still higher still because the producer prices work their way down into the consumer prices by about a six-week lag, six lag, as we know. So I continue to see prices going up, and that's going to continue, continue to put pressure certainly on the on the tech names and on the uh, and on the broader market as the Fed is going to now be pushed into the 75 basis point or even like you and I say, the 1 yeah. percent range where they have to just make they're going to make a, a drastic decision and, and stop with the 25 and 50 basis point moves and go straight to 1 percent move at least to shock the market to see if that does anything at all. My sense is that they're way behind the eight ball. And even that initially is not going to help. You know, I agree. I mean, I'm talking 100. I'm with you, 100 basis points. We just had on the segment before this Judy Shelton, who knows an awful lot about Fed monetary policy. Uh, She doesn't like demand uh, destruction. She doesn't like recessions. But in fact, the Fed is so far behind the curve, both in terms of inflation expectations, which deteriorated again in the Michigan survey that was out yesterday, as well as the actuals. I mean, Jim Uriel, if they did that, what would the impact be on the bond market? You're you're back to I don't know what was it three three fifteen three sixteen on the ten year. Where's that thing going to go? Well, first of all, we are three seventeen on the ten year, but remember too that the yield curve twos to tens yesterday steepened dramatically. It went from like point two two to point one three. That's a that's a collapse in the yield curve. I do think that short end yields are going to go, you know, probably up to four and a half percent before. Because and, and everyone else is saying that we need to go to eight percent. Even Brian Westbury, I was speaking to him yesterday, need to go eight percent. That's all fine and good, but we're also talking about. High prices being a mild cure for high prices if wage inflation, wage inflation isn't following, and it's not. And we're also talking about just all the riches that came from these asset prices that were wildly inflated, and that's coming out as well, too. So there are several things, and supply chains are starting to fix themselves despite weird decisions out of China. So I do think the 10-year probably gets up to 4%, but the two-year goes higher. I do see an inversion coming because I do see a recession coming. Uh, does that answer your question? I forgot what your question was. And by the way, no, that's you started right. out, the- this is somber stuff, but I'm not, I mean, I don't, I feel bad that I have to like not mess around and joke around because it is somber and mm-hmm. a lot of people are suffering, but uh, us not having fun with our jobs doesn't do anything to that, does it? Well, it's, um, you know, it's somber and sobering. And it's infuriating too. Yeah, and then, because we both, well, three of us know that with the, the one thing the Fed could have done could have happened 15 months ago when right. we were all screaming at them to do it, and they right. didn't. And the right. housing market, they were still buying bonds two months ago. This is outrageous. Right. Right. They should. What are they going to do? Wait. You know, Kenny, if they did, if shouldn't they be unloading their bonds? I mean, you're well, going to have to take cash out of the economy. You're going to have to stop the growth of M2. M2 has slowed. That's good. Right. Whether it stays slow, I don't know. But aren't they going to have to slim down that portfolio? And the support for the bond market is going to be gone. That's correct. And that's, and that's going to be the next year to drop, right? Because they, I think they're at the rate of $45 billion a month, getting up to $95 billion by August. Um, and once, once and, and, and investors know this, though, but once the buyer of last resort, and they have been the buyer of last resort, and everyone knows that, once they start pulling away and they're no longer going to be the inline bid, 
that's where you're going to see the void in prices, right? The, 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 the natural, the institutional buyer is going to bid much lower because now there's no quote-unquote support there by the Fed. And that's when you'll see prices decline and then yield spike. Yep. And it's coming. Yep, it it's is coming. coming. It is coming. Uh, Wall Street consensus is always wrong. And it's wrong on inflation. It's wrong on rates. It's just plain wrong. You guys are much more independent. Let's take a quick break. This was a wonderful opening. I know, God. <laughs> Things always look darkest before they turn completely black. Anyway, we're here with Jim Urio, and we're here with Ken Polcari. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back, folks. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're talking stocks with Jim Urio, director of TJM Institutional Services, and Ken Paul Carey, managing director at Case Capital Advisors, chief market strategist, Slate Stone Wealth. Jim Urio, just to come back to your earlier point uh, with respect to Chevron and refineries, you know, Biden's could make this a lot easier if they'd open the spigots instead of keeping them closed. I mean, that's like the most obvious sort of econ energy 101 idea. They could make, I had Paul Debar on earlier. He was a former head scientist in the energy department under Trump. You know, we are undersupplied by over a million barrels of oil compared to the pre-pandemic peak. But at that time, pre-pandemic, the estimates from the energy department were that we were going to hit 15 million barrels a day. We are still a million short. And that, of course, would contribute to gasoline. I mean, the Bidens could make this transition to low inflation a lot easier if they had any damn common sense instead of this woke stuff that they keep practicing. I I think you're a sweet and gentle, compassionate man to think that it's just incompetence and not something nefarious. And to underscore that, last week they passed a regulation that increased uh, regulations on refining diesel, I believe it was, last week. Two months ago, they debated about passing a law limiting fossil fuel companies' access to capital markets. And by the way, that same week they called them and asked why they weren't pumping more gas. They told us in the primaries that they, ha- that they had fossil fuel companies in their crosshairs, on their radar. They want to switch to the Green New Deal. So uh, to me, I think that the debate is, not, is about whether they're doing it on purpose or doing it on accident. Um, and I don't know what the answer to that is. I tend to think it's nefarious. I think mm. that they want gas prices this high because they want their Green New yeah. Deal. I mean, yeah. you can't have a build back better unless you have a demolition phase. This is outrageous. <laughs> but you can't have a green you can't have a Green New Deal when there's zero infrastructure to support the Green New Deal. The, the idea that you can just you know decide, okay, we're not using gas anymore. Everyone's going to go electric. That's great, except there's no place to charge your car. There's no infrastructure. There's nothing. And so the transition has to happen over, in my mind, at least two decades before you're going to go green, right? So, And we, this is something we got to take back conservation as part of our conservative initiative. I want a great environment, and this is not the way to do it if we're not ready. You're amen to you, Brother you. Kenny. Sorry I interrupted. I'll, I'll shut up now. I'm telling you, <laughs> no, the Green New Deal, listen – Car- it's carbon-free by immaculate conception. That's basically right. what they're going to do. I mean, they have no plan, no alternative infrastructure. Ken Paul Carey, come back to stocks. What is the you know profits of the mother's milk of stocks? What is the earnings outlook now? 
Well, look, the earnings outlook that, that you can start to see uh, that the revisions have already started, right? They're starting to come in lower now for the for the quarter that's going to start in a month, in uh, three weeks in July. Um, they're starting to be right, revised down, which makes perfect sense because we can see the economy slowing. Mm-hmm. I think by the end of the year, if we see if we see them up five percent, I think that and that's down from I think what was earlier nine percent at the beginning of the year. If they're still up five percent, that's going to be a win-win, and I'm not even sure that's going to happen mm-hmm. if. Uh, if, uh, you know, if the Fed now goes in June and then July and in September and they really start to, you know, impact what consumers are going to feel, what they're going to spend, what they're going to do, uh, you may see a marked slowdown by the uh, by the third quarter into the fourth quarter. Yeah, not good. Jim Muriel, just as an aside, what are your restaurants showing? What kind of business? I see. Our, our, we're fine. My friends in the business at the top end are starting now to see a little bit of a pullback from people. But we're, you know, we're an upscale pub, and we have reasonable prices, and we've made the conscious decision to work on less margins and try to weather this storm. But there's something I'll add about the restaurant business. I'll say our our costs are probably up 25%, and our prices are probably up 12%. When the storm goes away, prices don't come back down because the, the, the restaurants bear the scars of worrying about where the next shoe is going to drop. And, and right. that's just not the way inflation works. So this is saying, but in the restaurant business now, I still think it's, the, it's a combination of the pent-up demand from two years of being restricted that's coinciding and colliding with the higher prices. And right now it's still pretty good, but it's starting to turn at the high end, I believe. Mm. Listen, I got to tell you something. Speaking of restaurants, I had about the dinner last night, the business dinner. There was just me and there was one other person. We didn't even eat a lot. We had nothing to drink, no lick, no wine. We, I had a bowl of pasta, a salad and a bowl of pasta, and he had a salad and a steak and vegetables. No wine, no drinks. And the bill was $135 before the tip, right? Because there were service charges on there and there was COVID charges on it. And I looked at the bill and I thought, no, listen, I'm not, okay, it's $135. But it's two people that went out. I had a dish of pasta. <laughs> you right? should have had a drink. You should have had a drink. <laughs> that would have made it easier. <laughs> my head going, okay, how much longer is this going to last? What do you, what do you guys uh, in the remaining moments, what's an investor to do, uh, Jim Urio? So I still am going with the same things that I've liked for the last year and a half, which has uh, crude, crude all names, gold and silver. Yesterday, gold had a really, really interesting day where off the number, off the CPI number, it started heading precipitously lower, recovered, and finished higher. If we see more higher gold prices again on Monday, I will believe that that, that particular asset, it's worked its way back in to some sort of safe haven st- um, status, and that's what I'm looking at. I don't think anything else looks good because everything is so highly correlated. Um, the NASDAQ hates higher rates, and rates are definitely going up. That part is for sure. We don't need to debate that anymore. So I don't like any of it except for things that you know hurt when you drop it on your foot, as Dennis Cartman used to say. Mm-hmm. So commodities, particularly that's, those. That's right. Commodities, that's actually, the, the commodity, commodity indexes are still pretty strong. Ken Carey, what, what would you uh, recommend? Listen, the coal stocks, have you looked at BTU, names like BTU this year? It's up 200%, mm. right? When you think about when you think about the role that coal is going to play now, certainly across Europe anyway, but that continues to be a strong sector. And I would continue to, on pullbacks. I, would, I wouldn't be chasing it on the updates, but I would buy stocks buy, you know, into that on pullback. I also continue to like energy broadly. ExxonMobil just made a new high last week. Chevron, mm-hmm. as, much as, they, as much as Chevron was talking about rigs, 
Chevron is more than just that oil company, right? It is also companies in transition. So I think that there are opportunities there. And in a rising rate environment, I continue to like, you know, the financial. Jim Urio, if you're a bond person, what the hell do you do? <laughs> you hold on, you you duck, you build a bunker. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I think it's. Uh, it, again, you guys talked about before the Fed actually coming and selling its bonds, which I don't believe that's going to happen. I think the quantitative tightening is going to accelerate, and they're going to let them roll off. But you know, I just want to be the guy at that primary dealer shop when the phone rings to the to the Fed, and they said, "Hey, can you make me a price on a trillion? Yeah. Uh, you know, can I put you on hold for ten <laughs> minutes?" Is what I say. So, I mean, I just think, I just think it would rile the markets a little too much. And I think people who who talk about when are they going to sell their bonds, many of them aren't market people like us who might not understand that that could be a little disruptive, to say the least. Right. So you go into a bunker. And let me just ask you another one, uh, both of you, before we lose you. Commodity indexes have been relatively strong, which surprises me, even with the Fed threats and so forth. They haven't knocked commodities down yet. And to increase by 40%, remember, we, we're still, I mean, there's a lot of money out there. We, we, we haven't gotten it. We haven't been able to pull it back in yet. M2 growth has slowed, but it's still, you know, mm-hmm. as, as our pal Milton Friedman says, it's, inflation is always never a monetary phenomenon. That's what you're seeing it the most is things chasing. You never, when you squeeze it, you never know where it's going to pop out and what's going to benefit more. Housing, we all knew that a year and a half ago, but uh, the commodities are still doing well because there's a lot of money out there. Well, Listen, food commodities are going to continue to get squeezed because Putin is now using food as a, as a weapon of choice as well, as he blocks uh, the shipments of grains and uh, out of Ukraine, right? So food commodities are going to continue to surge, which is only going to add to that, you know, to, to the pain that consumers around the world are going to feel. That's a rough business investing in commodities. I mean, just for ordinary investors, that's a pretty tough business, Kenny. Yeah, I agree. You got to be. Which, I'm not in that space that much. Yeah, no, I mean, Jim Urio is the quintessential commodities trader. Listen to him. You know, you can go, go on and on and on. And, but it's rough, Jim Urio. It's, oh, you've got to no, be very nimble and quick in that game. There's no question about it. And people always think when they look at commodities that things are going to move on the fundamental story. But that's not always the case. It's market positioning more than anything. And there's a lot of speculators in commodities that can turn in an instant. Absolutely. Jim Urio, Ken Polcari, two great pals. It's a rough discussion on the stock market. I appreciate it, gentlemen. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.